0: Second Corinthians, chapter number six, and for those of you that might not know, we have been uh, we've been considering the paradoxes in the Bible, at least some of them, uh, on Wednesday night, and tonight we're going to be looking at another one of those. We we've already talked about paradoxes in general, the purpose of them, and so forth, and we won't go over that. Uh, the first one we actually talked about was up is down and down is up. And we started there for a reason because that deals with a matter of pride and humility. And uh, out of that, basically everything else flows. If we get that right, everything else has a way of working right. Then we talked about dying to live. Dying to live. If we try to save our life, we lose it. If we lose it for Christ's sake we find it. Last week we talked about weak yet strong. That's a paradox the world doesn't understand, you know. They they think to be strong you gotta be strong and they've got it backwards. Sometimes we're just not weak enough to be as strong as we need to be. That's why I've been saying for many, many years now, for some people their greatest handicap is not having a handicap. They've got it too good and too easy. And uh, and it's amazing how difficulties can change our outlook on life. We're going to start in verse number 1 and read down to our text for this evening. And all of this is important. That's why we're going to read all of these verses, because they all relate to what we're going to be talking about. We then, as workers together with Him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation of I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in pureness by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth. By the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed. In our text this evening, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing. You know, the difference in people, uh, it's amazing. You know, you you could read back and think about people like Nero, who spent all of his days grumbling. Now, keep in mind, here is a a man with, with... with more authority at that point in time than anybody on earth, he's a king sitting on a throne and griping constantly. Nothing's ever right; always something wrong. And on the other hand, you've got Paul and Silas, and uh, they're in a prison. They're, they're they're locked up in a prison, and what are they doing? They're singing praises. So you know, we can't always blame our attitude. On the, on the circumstances and the situation that we're in, because it's a proven fact that a lot of people that have the best attitude have the worst circumstances. So that's what we want to think about tonight. We want to look at both sides of this coin. First of all, that some are happy but miserable. Happy but miserable. Well, that doesn't even seem to make sense. Proverbs chapter number 14 and verse number 13 says, "...even in laughter the heart is sorrowful." Notice, even in laughter, you, you've you got a crowd of people and they're laughing and they seem to be happy and so forth, but notice the heart is sorrowful and the end of that mirth is heaviness. You, 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 you might call that a depression, a heaviness. Uh, and so a lot of people are pretending to be happy When they're not, in other words, they're living a lie. They want everybody to think they're happy, well-adjusted, at peace with themselves, enjoying life, and it's just not true. I read about a fellow one time, and that he had gone to the doctor. He couldn't overcome his depression, and and so he sat there and told the doctor, "...I'm just at the end of my rope. I don't know what in the world to do. I can't go on like this. I, I just can't live this way anymore." And and, and I desperately need your help. And so the doctor uh, suggested, you know, there is this. There's a particular book, and it's it's full of good humor. And I mean, and he was going on and on raving about this book. And the fellow said, "Already tried that. Didn't help." And so the doctor went on, and he mentioned something else. I don't know what it was. Maybe helping your neighbor or whatever. And they just go on and on and on about all the different things that that might be helpful. And he said, I've tried all of them. Nothing works. He said, i got one more idea. He said, what I want you to do, he said, tomorrow I want you to go down to the circuses in town. I want you to go down to the circus. And they've got a clown in there in that circus. And I'm going to tell you what, that guy, if he can't make you laugh, nobody can. And, And if that doesn't work, I don't know what to do. And the fellow looked at him kind of strange, and he said, Doc, I am that clown. (laughs) You see, the clown could make everybody else laugh, but but the poor thing was absolutely miserable within. And and like he was suggesting, you know, I, I can't go on any longer like this. Believe it or not, there are people that would rather die than go on as they are. They're miserable. I mean, to the point, by the way, that's why there's so many suicides. Yeah, I mean, it, it's shocking, and at and, and, and all ages, it's just not the old and decrepit people that want something to, uh, you know, help them exit out of this life and to get away from the pain and the misery. Uh, young people, uh, it's nearly an epidemic, uh, taking their own lives. And, and th- they just feel that inward pain is so great that, that I'd rather be dead than have to live like this. And the thing of it is, they don't understand, and as I've said before, uh, suicide is one of the most selfish things a person can ever do. That is pure selfishness. And look, that's the root of this problem. That's what the problem is all about. It's not your circumstances uh, or whatever condition you're in, that's not the thing. It's our attitude towards self that puts us in that frame of mind and creates this, this dreadful, depressed spirit that we're in. Now, here's the thing about it, folks, and, and, and don't just dismiss this as though, well, I know somebody like that, you know. I, I, I know somebody and they, they're just depressed all of the time. Let me tell you, it can happen to any of us, any of us. And for some, it might be more long-term. And for some, you know, in fact, it happens to all of us every now and then. You know, you have a Blue Monday or one of those days you can't get your act together. But for some people, that just keeps going on and on and on until they reach the point that they they just feel like they don't even want to live. You see, happiness is is elusive, uh, uh, You know, if a man is confused about anything on this earth, he's confused about what it takes to be happy. There used to be a preacher by the name of Vernon Grounds, and he said, "...joy is about as rare as a bald eagle." And you know, I think nowadays it's more rare than, than bald eagles are. It's just so seldom that you see someone that just radiates the joy of Christ. Now, look, I, when I say that, I'm not talking about having a sense of humor. I'm not talking about having a giddy attitude. The bars are full of people like that. They sit around and tell jokes, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about this real joy that comes from the Lord. And everybody's looking for it, but they keep looking in the wrong places. Maybe, maybe the number one place where we violate God's principles is in regards to possession, since the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, Man seems to think, you know, that I can be satisfied, I'll be happy if I can get this or if I can get that. Jay Gold and the Golds were some of the rich. He was probably the richest, one of the richest men in the world anyway. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the family died on the Titanic and maybe another one jumped out of a building during the skyscraper during the Depression. I don't know all of the stories, but... Uh, I happened to be in the office of one of the one of the members of the Gold family, way up on the very top floor or near the top, in the skyscraper downtown Cincinnati. And he had called and wanted me to come come there and uh, meet with him uh, in regards to the building that we were selling. Uh, this is a real historical neighborhood up on Mount Adams there, and we had a. Old building, dilapidated. I don't know why anybody would really want it. But I remember going in there and how impressed I was. I'd never been in a place like that. I'd worked for a millionaire before, but I'd never seen all of the trappings of it and been right there in the middle of it. And in his office, not somebody else, but this is the man, and he sat him there. And, and, and he, he told me what I had. He'd already researched it, knew what we had, already decided what he'd give. And I, I just kind of hinted at the price, and he, he said, look, there's no negotiating. I know what it's worth. I know what it's worth to me. This is what I'm willing to pay. Will you sell it or won't you? And I said, yeah, i will to sell it. Went back and got approval from the church. But, but here's the whole thing. So many people think that money will bring them happiness. Jay Gold said, quote, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Now, he's not alone in that. Money never did help hired Jews very much, did it? Didn't make him happy. Didn't make Elvis happy. You you see, money just does not provide happiness. But there are other things we pursue. We need to look at all of these because, you see, money might not be your problem. It might not be the thing that, that robs you of your happiness. It might be the love of pleasure. Remember several years ago when the hippies come along and the coffee shops. Man, I mean, I was I was into leather jackets and motorcycle boots and rock and roll and all of that stuff. And all of a sudden, you had these wimpy-looking, sissy-looking, and you're going to... Where are you going now? I'm going to the coffee shop, you know. And they go down there and play their, play their stupid music and all of that. And... Those are the weirdest people on the face of the earth and, and they wondered why they they wondered why they kept getting beat up, you know, by the by the you know, the, the greasers and what have you. Well nobody liked them really except them. But here look, they have an old beat up Volkswagen van that I wouldn't I mean wouldn't hardly make it down the road. They didn't care anything about having money. They wanted pleasure. I mean, this is the uh, the season of love for them. That you know that that's all they that's all they cared about. You know, have their have their concerts and play their music and smoke their dope, and it was all about pleasure. None of them was trying to make it to the top ten of the richest people in America. Pleasure is what it was all about. But it never never brought any of them happiness, did it? For some, it might have to do with power. I I think you can look to Washington, D.C. and see several examples of that very thing. People that are not so much interested in money, not even so much interested in pleasure, but, boy, they are power-hungry. That's what they want. They want control over other people. They want power but it doesn't bring, doesn't bring happiness. Popularity. You can go on and talk about drugs and drink and everything else, but there will never be any happiness until we get to the root of the problem. So some people are happy in the sense that they're trying their best to satisfy these longings in their heart, and they go through periods when they appear to be successful in their own eyes as they search for what they want. And they're laughing, in, but in their laughter, there's this heaviness of heart. They're with the crowd, and they're having fun, and they're cutting up, and they enjoy it. But they go home at night. The crowd's gone. The, mu- the music's gone. The room is quiet. And they're there all alone and they're frightened and they're miserable. Time and time again you read that testimony. Now, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is some people are sorrowful and yet, and yet joyful. And that's exactly the point that Paul was making here. As sorrowful, you see, you can be godly and be sorrowful. Some people have this have this idea that if I'm really a spiritual giant, if I'm really godly and so on and so forth, that 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 I'll never let anybody see that I'm sorry. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul cried more than a few tears, and he he in fact he warned people day and night with tears, and there was evident sorrow in his life, but at the same time, with that sorrow there was always yet rejoicing. Now, this is where joy differs from happiness. You know, we, we talk about happiness, and as somebody said, happiness depends on happenings. And that's the way a lot of people look at it. You know, if this happens, I'll be happy. If it doesn't happen, I won't be happy. Joy, however, depends on Jesus. It depends on our relationship with him. And the Bible gives us numerous examples. I was just sitting there a while ago and thumbing through my Bible and turned over to the book of Acts. And, uh, and, and maybe you ought to turn there and, and look in chapter number six for just a moment. And here's a man with the name of Stephen. And this is really amazing. There's an old song that says, uh, See, once a man named Stephen preached about the Lord. The name of the song is I See Jesus. I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. And I remember the first time I heard that song, I wanted to shout. It was such a blessing. But notice here, chapter 6, verse 15, "...and all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him and saw the face as it had been the face of an angel." Now look across the page, chapter number 7 or maybe the next page in your Bible in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell What a wonderful example that is of a Spirit-filled Christian in a difficult situation, not thinking of himself, but thinking of others. Lord, forgive them. He doesn't say one word about, God, help me to get out of here. Lord, this hurts. Help me to escape. I don't deserve this. He's praying for his persecutors, you see. And his face is aglow as he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's what really infuriated them. Whenever he said, yeah, I see Jesus, he's standing at the Father's right hand. And they went berserk. I mean, they killed him. How could he be alive? And and, and how would he be standing at the Father's right hand? And infuriated by their anger, they stoned him to death. Well, of course, there's Peter and, and, and John back in Acts and in chapter number five, you'll remember where they beat them and put them in prison. And the Bible says that they rejoiced. They rejoiced and, and counted it a, counted it an honor to suffer for Jesus' name. Isn't that amazing that somebody go through something like that? And then, of course, there's Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. It's midnight. Here they are. They've been beaten in prison. And at midnight, they sang and, and they sang and and prayed unto the Lord. At midnight, Uh, what a wonderful story that is. So the Bible gives us all of these examples, but let me tell you, all of the examples are not in the Bible. And it it does us good to look at these examples. Whenever we're feeling low and we're feeling blue, a lot of times it does us good to maybe read the story of uh, Peter and James and John, or the story of of Paul and so forth, and to see the suffering that they went through and the attitude they had toward their difficulties. And on numerous occasions, it made me really feel ashamed of myself. How dare I feel sorry for myself in what I'm going through when I'm not near as good as they are, and I'm suffering a lot less than they are and complaining more than they are. It's just not right. We need that exposure to the Word of God to remind us that we all have it better than what we deserve. Back in A.D. 200, uh, Crippian, I believe is the way he pronounced it, he was the bishop in Carthage, and he wrote a friend a letter, and he described the wickedness that was going on in the empire and he spoke of, and I'll quote, this is what he said, the selfishness and the cruelty and misery and despair under all roofs. He said, it is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered the secret. He said, that they they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than that of any pleasures of our sinful life. They... They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I'm one of them. Isn't that great? I mean, to stand up in the face of the world that is complaining about the hardships and the difficulties, and to be able to say, Christians have a different view. Has anybody ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's, yeah, there's one, two, a few. I want to tell you what, it'll make the hair stand on end to read. It's not an easy read, by the way. It's old English and difficult and, and what have you. But to think about what those people went through and, and, and all of that suffering and with a joyful spirit. So, let's get back to this matter of getting to the root of the problem. And in doing that, we need to look at the sources for real, genuine joy. And I'm not sure where to start or where to end or how many things to mention, but we're going to start with this one thing, and that is the matter of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Turn over to Psalms 32. Psalms thirty and there's so many different verses that we could talk about in this regards, but this this is just one example of what I'm talking about that will help us to get the picture. Psalms thirty-two and verse one and two: "Blessed," that word "blessed" by the way is a word you know that 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 means to be happy. Uh, "Blessed is he whose uh, transgression is forgiven." whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, there several other verses that relate to this, but I don't think we need to say any more than that. And that is the fact that out of forgiveness comes great joy. Romans 5 and verse number 11 talks about the joy of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God that gives us great joy as a result of us becoming the children of God. You see, a guilty conscience is a terrible thing. And I don't care where you go on this earth. And this is, a, this is something that God has done and put in the heart of man. Everywhere you go, you're going to find a religion of some kind or another. They might worship the planets. They might worship a rock. They might worship the animals. Whatever, But everybody has some sort of uh, inclination or propensity to be religious. Now, what would cause that? Well, if you examine all of the different religions, all of it has to do in some way or another with them trying to appease the wrath of whatever their God is. And it's only the Christians, only the Christians that think of God as a God of love and a God of goodness, and a God who wants to forgive. But you see... Anywhere you go, you're going to find people that know that they do not measure up to the light of their conscience. In other words, they know they're not as good as they could be and as good as they should be. And uh, and because of that, they, they look to their God, whatever it is, you see. A guilty conscience is a horrible thing, even for a Christian. And that's why whenever Paul was dealing with Timothy there, and he told him, I mean, first of all, he put it on the top of the list, the first essential thing that he needed as a minister of the gospel was to have a clear conscience. Boy, nothing in the world will sap you of your joy any more than having a guilty conscience. And it's a wonderful thing when you know you've done wrong and you confess it to God and you get it right and you know God has forgiven me. I mean, it'll put a spring in your step and a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Just know God has forgiven me. Wow, I mean, that's something to get excited about. To think about His forgiveness. Anybody that cannot get excited about the fact that God has forgiven them do not understand how dirty, rotten, vile, and sinful they really are. Because when we really see ourselves for what we are, and we realize that it's only by the grace of God that He's willing to forgive us, that will bring a joy to our heart. But, But there's more than that. There's also, here's something else to put on your list, there's the anticipation of the future. Anticipation of the future. I'm talking about the glorious future that we have as the children of God over in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 2. It says, "...by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God." And and especially when we get over here in Second Corinthians later on, and even First Corinthians chapter number fifteen, and again and again, we are reminded of the fact that we need to keep our focus on what God has prepared for us. You can't think about heaven too much, folks. You forget all of that nonsense when people say, you know, you Christians are so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. They don't know what they're talking about. You need to think about the home that you're headed for. And the more you think about it, the more you reflect upon it, the greater your joy is going to be here. But then there's a third thing, and that is the provision of strength. Amid our trials, and and here exactly in, in in our verse where Paul notice all of the things he's just mentioned there, all of the painful things, all of the inconvenient things uh, he said there in verse number four, the affliction and necessities that that means you're doing it without something, distresses, stripes. I mean, you're getting beaten and in prison and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings and so and so. He's talking about all the bad stuff that we don't want to have anything to do with. But here we see that he could rejoice. Why? Because as we're told in chapter number uh, 12 of this book, that God's grace would be sufficient. In other words, God's going to provide the strength that you need to get through your trials. That's got to give you joy, Right? I mean, you can have joy in your trials because you know that God's going to help you. He's not going to abandon you in that situation. Now, hurriedly, let me give you another one, and that has to do with the matter of serving others. Maybe one of the best ways on this earth for us to get out of our depression, for us to start enjoying life, is whenever whenever we make it our goal in life or one of our goals, Uh, to help other people we put duty first duty ahead of the pursuit of our own pleasures now I'm going to wrap it all up with this one because nothing is more important than this and that's the matter of holiness you see being helpful to others will only do so much it'll make you feel good about yourself and I'm, I, the, the other day, Bev, and I was in the restaurant, and I, I'm not saying this to brag because I don't do things like this near as much as I should, but we were sitting there and the waitress went over and there happened to be a couple uh, sitting a couple of uh, booths down from us and the waitress said something to them about... Uh, I think it was the 43rd anniversary, and they were in there eating together. And so Bev and I got to watching them, and and uh, got to thinking about that. And they you, they were so excited, and so forth. And and I, I don't know. I just felt impressed. I called the waitress over, and I said, "Give us their ticket. And you don't need to tell them where where it came from or anything. But give us their ticket. We we want to help them celebrate. We want, we want to buy their meal for them. And uh, we we left out of there just just feeling good about something that we had done something for somebody else without without them knowing anything about it. But let me tell you, as, even though that makes you feel good, that only gets you so far. That only you see helping others is one thing. Seeking holiness is the most important thing. Holiness is the most essential factor in 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 regards to this. Here's what I want you to think about. We have no right to be happy unless we're seeking to please God. What right do I have to be happy if I don't care whether I'm pleasing God or not? I don't have a right. I mean, why should I pray, you know, Lord, give me wonderful joy and peace and bless my life and what have you... Why would God be obligated to do any of that if I turn around on the other hand and I'm living in rebellion against His will? The whole point is, I cannot please myself by trying to please myself. The harder I try to please myself, the worse I make things. Because it's not about me trying to please myself, it's about me trying to please God. That That's... That's what it's all about. That's what holiness is all about. Living a life of obedience to His will. Now, I know that some people think, well, you know, you Christians just can't have any fun. You you can't do this and you can't do that. And uh, you, you're you just miserable. And, you, you know, they think we leave the impression that God doesn't want us to be happy. And that's not right. Because God is very much concerned about your happiness. He really is. He wants every single one of His children to To be happy. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peace that passeth all understanding. He wants all of these blessings upon us. But here's here's the deal. He wants us to find that happiness in Him. And nothing else. He is the only source. And as we seek with all of our heart to please Him, what happens? All of a sudden, we find that we are pleased with life, and we didn't even try to please ourselves. You see, we couldn't find happiness by looking for it. Happiness is something that came to it when we sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of a sudden, as we're trying to please God, we end up pleasing ourselves. And regardless of the situation in life, even when there's a tear in our eye and a burden on our back, we can have a song in our heart. And that's why Paul says here, as sorrowful, yet, and I love this word, I underline it in my Bible, always, always rejoicing. Not just part of the time. I mean, he says we need to do it all of the time. And that's that's difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of times we'd rather complain than to praise the Lord. And we need to remember that. Always rejoicing. Alright, let's stand together and have prayer, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, again tonight, we thank You for bringing us together. We thank You for each person that's here, every family that's represented. We thank You for your word and the strength and the comfort that it provides. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example of those that lived long ago, men like Stephen, Peter and James and John and Paul, those men that inspire us so much. But we also thank you for others like Fanny Crosby and others like R. G. Lee and others that suffered and went through great difficulty, and, and yet they did so with a joyful spirit. And I pray that you'll help each and every one of us to be so determined to please you that we'll be able to leave that same kind of, of testimony behind. So we pray tonight as we dismiss that you'll bless us, not because we deserve it, but because we're begging it in Jesus' name.